All right, welcome back to our Leviticus class. Today we'll be in chapter number 6, Leviticus chapter 6. And this Leviticus class, these things are so detailed, we've been trying to deal with the whole chapter at a time. I believe we can still do that today. Uh, a lot of these things are, are descriptions of individual sacrifices. Leviticus, this is the law for the Levites. This is the instructions for the Levites. They're, gonna, they're going to be taking care of the operations of the tabernacle and of the temple. And they have specific instructions about how these things ought to be carried out. It's been a few months actually since we've had a Leviticus class. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter number 6 and... And for the last couple of chapters, you've been getting some instruction on different types of um, sacrifices, how they're to be, uh, how they're to be manipulated, how they're to be offered, uh, the manner that they're all, they're to be offered, the disposition of the priest who offers them, all sorts of things like that. And really, this continues throughout the whole book of Leviticus. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody try to teach out of the book of Leviticus uh, in the sense of teaching the whole book. And so I'm not trying to, to spend a whole lot of time on each verse. Uh, we do want to read the verses and we want to uh, really get the understanding that these are simply God's instructions. And, the, and the, uh, I should say that the most important thing here is that God wants to have his way and God is the... Uh, he's the architect. He's the author. We talk about the New Testament, God being the author and the finisher of our faith. And so God is the architect of these plans. And he, uh, he showed Moses a, a template. He showed him a blueprint of the things that he wanted to build in regards to the tabernacle. And so not only is the tabernacle to be built the way that God wanted it built, but the uh, the ceremonial things, the ritualistic things of the law are to be done just so. And if they're not done just so, they're not done. And God is very particular about these things because God sees every minute detail. And if God is going to forgive every little sin and he's going to have a remedy for every little problem that man will encounter, then he's going to have a procedure uh, by which man goes about carrying these uh, 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 I hate to use the word ritual I know I've already used it uh, once before but regarding the sacrifices uh, regarding the order of service that's the very best way I think to, uh, to say that but regarding these things God will have it his way and if it's not done his way it's not done and that's very important. And, and that, that principle carries over into the New Testament. Into the New Testament, there is more of a sense of grace. But really what you've got to understand is that what you're, what you're dealing with in Exodus and Leviticus and, and the like is you're dealing with God's grace as well. Uh, God didn't have to give these people the law, but the Bible says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So the law itself is, a, is also a great means of grace in that 
if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't understand that uh, what grace was. Or uh, if there was no transgression uh, defined in the law, then we wouldn't know what we needed to be forgiven, uh, get forgiven for. And we wouldn't know how great the forgiveness was. If we didn't know that there was a, a law whose penalty was death, uh, we wouldn't know that we had escaped death. And so a lot of these things are are, are really um, covered and really these things are really explained uh, when the Bible tells us the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. These, these things are, are brought out in a way that really most people, uh, even religious people, spend their whole lives without realizing how great and in-depth uh, the sacrifice of Christ and the uh, the, the uh, severity of uh, boy, it's so hard to put in words. The severity of getting these things right. How uh, what a severe thing it is. What an important thing it is to get these things exactly right. Not just. Uh, not just to know about God, but to know God's will. That's 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 such a uh, a broad spectrum of things, right there. Here's a man that knows about God, and here's a man that knows God's will. Those uh, those are two positions that are uh, miles apart, and 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 really, we should strive. Uh, to get that idea as we come through the book of Genesis and, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Psalms and Proverbs and the prophets and get into the New Testament with a great understanding that God is a God of minute details. And while, while people don't like to be judgmental and they don't like to, you know, really, uh, they don't like to really uh, ponder too much into things. They don't want to dig too deep into things because it, if you dig deep into things, it just causes you more trouble. Uh, the further you dig into the Bible, you find more stuff you shouldn't do, and and you find more stuff you should have done and you ought to have done. And really, people don't really want to go that much in detail. They don't want to dig that far into it. Uh, but I say all that to say this: when you're talking, when you're going through the Book of Leviticus. These uh, God has given man every little detail and he wants us to get every little detail right. He wanted these Levites to get every little detail right because there come a time when Christ was going to take into account every little detail and carry every little sin and pay right down to the very last drop for our sins. And so much so that we are complete in him. And that our salvation is complete body, soul, and spirit. And so, so, that, uh, so that everything matters. So that every little thing matters. Uh, we don't often take time to consider that. But it, it certainly is something that's borne out in the book of Leviticus as it describes these individual sacrifices. Even if, it, even if he doesn't... Um, Point it out, even if he doesn't say, now pay attention to every little detail. Every little detail is given, and every little detail is given for a purpose. And eventually, as you're reading through the scripture, it'll jump out at you and say, why is he going into such detail? Why does it matter if it's uh, 
two-tenth deals or three-tenth deals or if it's a little more, you know, uh, that fellow, that Cajun guy, Justin, that did the cooking, he said, put a teaspoon in. He'd pour five teaspoons in his hand, throw it in the pot, you know. Uh, but that's not the way God does it. God has exact measurements and God requires it. And I, uh, it's, it's really an important thing. Maybe I've uh, went a little too far into that when I should have been reading these scriptures, but it is a very important thing. And uh, forgive me for my rambling. Give me a little space to ramble, if you will. Uh, Leviticus chapter 6 and verse number 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor. Now, he's giving you a particular sin here about lying. Uh, but notice that he uh, points out that when a man sins, it's his soul that sins. Uh, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And that's very important. Uh, when you go through the law, you're going to find that for many transgressions in the law, a man's soul be cut off from the people. You see, a man doesn't get saved by keeping the law anywhere in the Bible. A man may be under the law in the Old Testament. A man, be, a man may be put under some of that covenant again. Out in the future, there's no doubt about that. There will be a temple in the future. There's no question about that. In the book of Revelation, there is a temple. In the book of Daniel, there is a future temple in which the Antichrist will make uh, an, an offering that will be considered an abomination of desolation, and it will make desolate. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that the touch not, the taste not, and the handle not, he says those things have uh, uh, a show of wisdom and will worship, legalistic things. They have a show of wisdom and will worship. And that very same passage says that the new moons and the Sabbath days, it doesn't say that they're a shadow of things that have been. It says they're a shadow of things to come, future. And that's a New Testament passage. A New Testament passage that says, the new moons and the Sabbath days are a shadow of things to come. Future to the New Testament. Not Well, that's a very important thing. It's a very important thing. So, when I say that nobody's saved by keeping the law, that is with the understanding that inside the law, see, when a man is born to Abraham, he's circumcised. And when God sees that circumcision, he sees the righteousness that God gave to Abraham so that the Jew is safe and he's preserved in the covenant of Abraham just as the man that trusts in Christ is safe in the covenant of Christ. But see, we're complete in Christ, body, soul, and spirit. We have Christ's imputed righteousness. The difference is a man that's under the law there are many sins that if he commits, the Bible says he'll be cut off from Israel. He'll be cut off from the people. And so it's not that a man is saved by keeping the law. A man is safe. A man is uh, quote unquote, and I use it very loosely, safe or saved by being born into the covenant of Abraham. But God's given him a specific law, a specific a set of ordinances, and for certain of those ordinances, or for a uh, 
breaking of certain of those ordinances, the Bible said you'd be cut off from the people. The soul shall be cut off from the people. And so it's not saved by keeping it, it, uh, as much as it is being kicked out for not keeping. And so, uh, or for not keeping certain of the law, not keeping in general, but not, uh, for example, the first thing that God tells Abraham after he gives him the sign of circumcision is that if you if your sons are not circumcised, their soul be cut off from the people. And you, you can read the rest of the law for yourself and see how many times that shows up. When they're born, they're circumcised. That's the seal that they're Abraham's son. Well, uh, if your soul gets cut off from that, your soul gets cut off from that. The, the example would be the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus were, were both. The rich man and Lazarus were both sons of Abraham, but the one had been cut off, and the other one had not been cut off. Well, that's uh, that's maybe a little deeper than we should have went here in Leviticus chapter six, but. Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about that because it says if a soul sin, if a soul sin. And so uh, sin is uh, is largely a condition of the soul. That's why uh, Abraham, uh, Mo, uh, pardon me, uh, Adam's son didn't have to eat off of the tree uh, in order to be a sinner. The only commandment that they had was not to eat off the tree. Well, none of none of Adam's sons. You can see Romans chapter five for this. None of Adam's sons ate off the tree. They didn't sin after the same. Uh, they didn't sin after the same ordinance that Adam did. But death still reigned from Adam to Moses. But uh, their sins were not imputed to him in that in the sense of uh, of being cut off because there was no law and that's romans chapter 4 romans chapter 5 and it's a matter of the soul it's not a matter of the flesh it's a matter of the soul Um, cain and abel did not have to eat off the tree to become a sinner like adam and eve did it was a spiritual thing it was a soul thing that was passed from adam uh, to cain and abel and so on down the line. If a soul sin, commit a trespass. In the New Testament, you commit a sin with your flesh. It doesn't reach to your soul because your soul is sealed. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13 and 14. You have the imputed righteousness of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit as a seal uh, of your salvation. If a soul sin and commit a trespass, let's get on with this passage or we'll never finish it up. If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lying to his neighbor and that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or hath uh, deceived his neighbor or have found that which was lost and lieth concerning it. And sweareth falsely in any of all that uh, in any of all these that a man doeth uh, sinning therein, then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he uh, which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely. He shall even restore it in principle, in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto. In other words, the principal sum, if a thing was worth 
$50, give him $50. But then he said, add the fifth part thereto and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, uh, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for uh, anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. So here's a man talking about lying. He might be uh, taking away something that belongs to his neighbor. He might have found it and said he didn't find it. It's something that doesn't belong to him, and he's lied about it. So you got lying and theft mixed up in this same thing. And God has a specific way to deal for it, uh, to deal with it. You restore the worth of it and add some to it. Add a fifth part to it. And he said, then come see the priest. He'll offer an offering and the thing will be forgiven. Now notice the man doesn't get put in prison. Uh, man, if you took everybody and you that stole and you made them restore to the person that they stole from and add to that, man, uh, that would have a lot better solution than putting people in prison to where they don't have to work and they get three meals a day and play basketball and work out in the yard. And, and Lord knows there's a lot of other bad things that go on besides that. But it seems like after they come out of prison, they end up going back. I don't know that they're getting the help that they need by going to prison. Uh, but it seems like uh, when something damages a man's pocketbook, it does a lot more damage than it does when you damage his, you know, taking his liberty away or putting him in a jail cell somewhere. Uh, if you take a man, make him pay for what he's done, the working off of a debt, the repaying of a debt restores a man's dignity. Well, just throwing him in a cage takes away his dignity. I'm not saying there's no instance in which a man ought to be locked up not saying that at all uh, perhaps there's a lot of things that would warrant that but in, in many cases that we lock men up today as far as america's concerned probably shouldn't do it there probably ought to be i'm not saying there ought to be no stiff penalties this right here uh, you take something away that wasn't yours you have to repay it and then pay even more out of your own pocket than the thing was worth uh, that'd be a great hindrance i would think it wouldn't solve all the problems, but uh, we live in a world full of problems. Not going to solve all the problems. But at any rate, that's uh, that uh, passage there, verse 1 through 7, uh, gives that uh, Levitical priest the exact uh, prescription for how God wants this thing dealt with. He wants it dealt with physically. And he wants it dealt with spiritually. There is a physical thing that he has to do. And there is a, a, there is a spiritual transaction that's represented by this sacrifice that has to be made. And so it's a, it's a physical and a spiritual issue always. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall 
put on his linen garment and, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes. He wants to be dressed in a certain way while he's doing this part, which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offering. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So these are very specific things. You offer this altar, this offering. You offer it this way. Uh, you order it this way. You dispose of the ashes this way. You wear this while you're doing the offering. While you're cleaning up the offering. You wear this while you're carrying the ashes outside the city. You do it all. You do it all specifically. You put wood on the fire. You, you every morning you burn it. You keep the altar burning all the time. Even when there's not an offering to be offered on it, you keep the fire on that altar burning all the time. Verse 14, this is the law of the meat offering. Uh, this meat offering is not like meat, like uh, hamburger and steak. It's not meat. It's, it's meat. It's, it is uh, anything that's, uh, that's good to be eaten or fit or made to be eaten. It's meat. Uh, and this is the law of the meat. That's where we get the word eat. <laughs> it's just an old word for eat. It's meat. Uh, it could be, it could be, as far as the word meat goes, it could be uh, a fish, it could be a steak, it could be a piece of bread, but in this case, it's a meat offering, and the meat offering uh, that's to be offered by the Levites is unleavened bread that's baked and burnt. And so he says, he shall take of it his handful of the flour of the meat offering and of the oil thereof and all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering and shall burn it. See, there's ingredients there and it all has to be done and shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. So this thing will be burnt and the smell of it will go up and the Lord will smell it and he'll accept it. He said, it's a sweet savor. God will smell it and he'll say, this is good. This is right. It's a type of your prayers. And if you don't think that prayers ought to be done a certain way, then just see what Jesus said about uh, what ought to be done in prayer. It ought to be repetitious. Now, I'm not talking about vain repetition, but the Lord said, he said, uh, the un, in the unjust judge, he said, the woman came to him and came to him and came to him and came to him until he was put out enough to grant a request just to get her to, to be quiet. So in that sense, it's repetitious. And he said, when, when you pray, say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you think he didn't mean that. Now, I'm not talking about reciting that prayer over and over, but when you pray, Talk about God's holiness. Talk about God's righteousness. Talk about you, uh, your daily uh, bread. And talk about your uh, forgiving your neighbor like, uh, like you want to be forgiven. And all these things, uh, God told you exactly how to do it. And he said uh, to, uh, to be sure and understand that God knows what you have need of before 
you ask. God knows that. You're to, you're to know that he knows that. But you're to ask anyway uh, because you're showing your dependence upon him. And so just like this meat offerings to be done as a sweet savor before the Lord, your prayers and the incense that was offered on the altar uh, in the holy place, in the tabernacle, it was a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And so this is, these, these are not just, these sacrifices are not always just little things that God wants to, be, wants to be done just to keep the Levite busy, but they're important because they represent uh, great things in your life and in my life, prayer and worship and service. Verse 16, the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat with unleavened bread. Shall it be eaten in the holy place? In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall eat it. Nowhere else, eat it right there. It shall be bacon, It shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy. It is the sin offering. And as uh, and as the trespass offering. Now, I'm sorry, I read that incorrectly. He says, it shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy as is the sin offering. This meat offering is as holy as the sin offering. I'm sorry, I read that incorrectly the first time. But he says so. It is most holy, as is the sin offering, and as the trespass offering. A lot of times we get to the place where we feel like this service is better than that service. Maybe being a preacher is better than being a singer or um, being a uh, um, being a, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher. We think that might be better than being uh, somebody that's an usher or uh, something like that, an elder of some sort. It's, that's not the case at all. That's not the case of all. Uh, in this thing, he says that this this sacrifice that represents a sweet savor to God, he says it's it's holy, just like a sin offering is holy. And he said it's holy just like a trespass offering is. And so these are holy things. They're all holy things. They're all service to God. One is a service to God. The other is a service to God. Because they're different services doesn't make it less important. That's illustrated in the New Testament by the parts of the body. Uh, the head, which we know is Christ, can't say to the feet. The Bible uh, speaks of the feet as the most uncomely part. The most unbeautiful part of uh, the head, which represents Christ, and the foot, which may be the worst among us as Christians, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of thee. It's part of the body. When you're saved, you're put into the body of Christ. No part of the body of Christ will ever be turned out. Christ suffered once for sin. No part of his body will ever go to hell. It may be a foot, uh, but the service of the foot is important. And so that's that's along the lines of what he's trying to get across to you here about these sacrifices. In other words, the lesson for both is is there in both of those instances. The body of Christ would be a good comparison to this. This would be a good comparison to the body of Christ. Both of these things, you could teach both of these things from from either vantage point. Verse number 18, all the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it, all of them. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. 
everyone that toucheth them shall be holy. So these, uh, this gives a sense of things that are holy that rub off and make other things holy. What a, what a great lesson that would be for us if, if our lives ministered to other lives. If we were holy, be ye holy as I am holy, the Lord says. If our holiness would, would influence the holiness of others. And so this is a great thing. Uh, I believe your Bible's holy. And, and so there's a lot of things like that. The holiness of your Bible should convert over into the holiness of you, your, your soul, your life, your home, uh, your thought life, your thought processes, all these things. Good, good examples in all these things. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and of his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed. The tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a meat offering perpetual, half of it in the morning, half of it at night. <coughs> Excuse me. In a pan it shall be made with oil, and when it is bacon, thou shalt bring it in, and the bacon pieces of the meat offering shalt thou offer for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the, and the priest... Of his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. It is a statute forever unto the Lord. It shall be wholly burnt. For every meat offering for the priest shall be wholly burnt. It shall not be eaten. So this is when a, when a priest is going to be anointed. And when he's going to uh, be anointed, they're going to offer this meat offering. And he says it's a sweet savor to the Lord. It's something that's acceptable to God. And so this has a substitutionary uh, element to it as well. You're about to anoint this man and you're going to anoint him to do, uh, uh, to do the work of a priest. And when you bake this bread and you burn this bread, it sends up a, a smell to God and God smells it. And it's, it, the sense of it is, is that there's a substitution. The man is not worthy. The man is a sinful man. But this man is going to offer sacrifices. And when this man offers sacrifices, those sacrifices are going to be accepted to God. Well, God is not a sinner and God is not going to accept man's offering. But So he has these sacrifices being offered. When the sacrifices are offered, he smells the smell and accepts the sacrifice. Well, this is what takes place when Christ dies on the cross. When Christ dies on the cross, he offers up an acceptable sacrifice. And when God sees that, it's just like when he smells this sacrifice. He accepts it uh, because the offering of Christ was made by a worthy man. And so when he gives you this sense for every meat offering uh, for the priest shall be wholly burnt, it shall not be eaten. He's saying that this thing is going to be burnt and it's going to be received uh, in the sense of how he receives it. He's going to smell it and he's going to, he's not going to think of the man who offered it or the sins of the man who offered it. He's going to smell the sacrifice. He's going to smell the thing that's being burned up, the thing that's being destroyed. The wages of sin is death. So when he, when he, receives the result of the sacrifice, the smell of it, the result of it, then he knows that there has been a substitution made, just as the lamb that's made in the sin offering. The lamb is a substitution for the man. 
when the Bible says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the Lamb represents Christ, but the Lamb also represents the priest that's offering it. The Lamb also represents the man for who the priest is offering it. The, the Lamb is a substitution for the man. When it burns, God smells that. It's just as if the man was burnt. When Christ died on the cross, it's just as if the man died. Christ died for our sins. So all of these things, when they're burning it and the, there's a savor of it going up into the nostrils of God, he said, the penalty has been paid and I now accept the man. It's substitutionary. Verse 24, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The burnt offering, the sin offering, be made in the same place. He said it's a holy thing. It's to be done in the same place. To be done at the right place. It's to be done, it's to be done at the appointed place. And so he says, You offer the burnt offering. He says, In the place where the burnt offering is killed, Shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord? It is most holy. The priest that offereth it for the sin shall eat it. The man that makes the offering shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. So all this specific. The man that offers it is going to eat it. He has a specific place to eat it. He has a specific place to offer it up. He said this is holy things. You don't do it the way you want to do it. You do it the way God says to do it. Verse 27, whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. This is a holy thing. This is a holy sacrifice that's making things holy. It's Christ. If Christ uh, offered, a, uh, offered himself a sacrifice for you and you touch Christ's garment, you're holy. And that's why the Bible says, be ye holy as I'm holy. Uh, we are blessed in that Christ has imputed to us his righteousness. We've touched him and he's made us holy. And so it's a, it's a matter of standing in state. Uh, but both of those things are highly influenced by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We should never be satisfied with imputed righteousness and no righteousness of our own. You say, well, all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Well, Second Corinthians chapter 9 says a man that gives his righteousness will last forever. So we can't, we can't discount the fact that a man that's born again, touched by the imputed righteousness of Christ, cannot do righteous works uh, in righteous service of the Lord. That's just, that's ridiculous. That's, that's heresy. Verse 28, but the earth and, uh, excuse me, verse 27, whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is, uh, when there is sprinkled, uh, sprinkled of the blood thereof on any garment, thou shalt wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. If blood gets on your garments, you wash that garment right there in the holy place. Verse 28, but the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken. If you use an earthen vessel to sod the, uh, the sacrifice uh, before it's eaten, then you break that earthen vessel. But if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. And no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. 
it shall be burnt in the fire. No sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought. If you offer a sin offering and you bring the blood of that sin offering uh, into the tabernacle uh, to, to make reconciliation with that blood, if that blood came from that sacrifice, you don't eat of that sacrifice. It shall be burned in the fire. You burn it and you consume it all the way up. And uh, that's a type of the uh, the sinner uh, dying and being burnt in a flame and consumed. It, he says, no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought. What it's, what it's pointing to is the total consumption of sin. And Christ... His sacrifice is the total consumption of sin. He tasted death for every man. He, uh, he died a, the death of a man on the cross, paid for our sins. And it's the total consumption of sin. And if the blood of that sacrifice be offered, then the sacrifice is totally consumed. It shall be burnt in the fire. That's the word uh, that he gives us there in verse number 30. It's a very specific chapter. All these... Uh, sacrifices are very specific, uh, very particular, and they're to be carried out in a very particular way, the same way every time, and the Lord certainly will require it. As I said at the beginning of the class 36 minutes ago, uh, that if it's not done the way that the Lord uh, prescribed for it to be done, then it's not done at all. All right, we'll pick up next time in chapter number 7. God bless you. We'll see you next time.